Amen. Amen. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be all over the place today, but you need to put your finger in Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at a pretty good chunk of scripture there. But before we get to part four of Not a Fan, a couple of announcements. This Wednesday is the Rotary Fundraiser Chicken Dinner, and we are selling tickets. I know some Rotarians here are selling tickets. And it is an awesome cause. All the money raised goes to support local food pantries, including First Christian Churches Food Pantry. And I am thankful to all of you that are supporting it, not to mention the fact that it is a really good supper. Guys, that's another great way to really bless your families. Um, do the cooking this Wednesday. Let your wife go to Ladies' Night Out on Thursday. You have a bulletin insert about a very special meeting on April 28th and May 5. You don't need to go to both of them, but if you work with children in our children's ministry, we would really appreciate if you could attend one of the two meetings at 1030. You'll see the info in your bulletin. And then a week from this coming Saturday, two weeks from yesterday, is just a huge day for our summer mission trips. It's the 5K to raise 5K race. And I hope that you're participating. If you're not participating, uh, we would love for you to financially support some of our students that are going on the trip. It is um, just a very important fundraiser for a very important cause. And that is two weeks from yesterday, a week from this coming Saturday, May 4. Well, we really launched this sermon series on Easter Sunday morning when we looked at Nicodemus and John chapter 3 and the, the transformation in Nicodemus's life from fan of Jesus to follower. Two weeks ago on the 7th, the message was entitled DTR, Determine the Relationship, Define the Relationship. And I challenge you with three questions. Why are you here? And are you all in? And do you own it? Is your faith yours? Or are you still living on your parents' faith? Or your siblings' faith? Or in some cases, maybe your child's faith? Or your neighbor's faith? Or your friend's faith? Or your preacher's faith? Or your youth minister's faith? Do you own it? Last week, Open invitation was the title of the message. And the, the, the concept was that anyone is welcome. There's no qualifications. But because of that, no qualifications means no excuses. Whatever you think is holding you back from really being a follower of Christ, uh, the, the excuse doesn't hold water. It doesn't merit uh, consideration. We looked at, I think, 33 different people in the Bible that God used to change his world, and every one of them had something that, that was less than ideal. Every one of them had a ghost in the closet. Every one of them ha ha had something that could have kept them from saying, I'm not worthy. I can't serve the Lord. We ended last week by saying it is anyone. It's an open invitation. It's open enrollment, but it's everything. We can't be people that have one foot in the kingdom and, and one foot in the world. It's anyone, but it's everything. And, and really, the, the, the launching pad verse for this entire sermon series is Luke 9, 23, when Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and he must take up his cross daily and follow me. We quoted John three sixteen. On Easter, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And that's an awesome verse, and that's probably the first verse that you learned as a Christ follower, would be my guess. Especially if you grew up in the church. We love John 3.16. It's a foundational verse of the faith, and it talks about believing, what it means to believe, to be a person of faith. But Luke 9.23 talks about what's it mean to be a follower. How do I follow after Jesus. 
I must deny myself, take up my cross every day and follow me. And so I start this morning with a simple question. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Take your bulletin or your your insert or the little pink flyer that we're throwing around and, and just write down one way that you think you know Jesus. Just do that right now. One way that you would say, yes, I know Jesus. How do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? One thing, one way that I can say, yes, I know Jesus. Okay, hold on to that. If there's one word that I want to throw out this morning for your consideration, it's the word intimacy. And no, I'm not going to talk a lot about sex. Don't worry about that. This isn't going to be Dr. Ruth in the pulpit. Don't worry about that. But when we hear intimacy, that's what comes to mind for many of us. We think the, the physical act of sex. That's what we think of when we think of intimacy. And I, uh, I throw out for your consideration this morning that that is really selling short what biblical intimacy is really all about. So today's message is about intimacy. And number one, the first thing I want you to understand is that there's a major difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. There's a major difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. Has anyone here heard of Michael Jordan? Anybody have heard of Michael Jordan? Has anybody not heard of Michael Jordan? Would probably be the better question. When I was growing up as a high schooler and even as a college student and even as a young adult, um, there was probably nobody around that knew more about Michael Jordan than I did. And I just kind of did a little memory lane uh, for myself, and I'm going to show some pictures of my favorite Michael Jordan moments. I remember I was in junior high in 1982 when Michael Jordan hit the game winner. Let's put that picture up on the slide. In the NCAA title game, North Carolina beat Georgetown. I didn't even like North Carolina, but I love that shot. I still remember it like it was yesterday. I remember in 1984 when Michael Jordan, as a college student, helped lead a team of collegians. That's when amateur athletics was actually amateur athletics, and the Americans won the gold medal in the L.A. Olympics. And that's a picture of Michael Jordan. I remember in 1986 when Michael Jordan came back from injury right before the playoffs and scored 63 points against the soon-to-be world champion Boston Celtics. Maybe the greatest single individual sports event I've ever witnessed. He was absolutely on fire. I'll never forget that. I remember the shot. The first time it was the shot, in 1989, when he stunned Cleveland in the playoffs. I remember in 1991, this picture right here, the Bulls won their first championship. And my hero just just hugging that trophy and crying. I think he actually hit his wife upside the head accidentally in that shot. But he just was so excited. I remember the dream team in 1992. Michael Jordan and a plethora of superstars, uh, professional athletes, played in the Olympics and won it. I remember what should have been the last play in Michael Jordan's basketball career. He should have retired after this shot right here in 1998 when he beat the Utah Jazz. And maybe the, the, the capstone picture of Michael Jordan in many ways is this next picture, six NBA championship. Look at those rings. Man, I knew a lot about Michael Jordan. There was a time I could have told you how many points he averaged in a season. I could have told you the records that he set along the way. But here's my question. I knew a lot about Michael Jordan, but did I really know him? 
See, I didn't realize that he was an absolute gambling machine and that he lost six figures on a regular basis gambling. I would not have approved. I didn't realize the, the, the partying that, that was a part of his lifestyle even on game nights, even before games many times. I didn't realize the lifestyle that he embodied. And if you would have said to me, do you know Michael Jordan? I would have said absolutely. But the reality is, I didn't really know him. I knew an awful lot about him. And so I ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? What's on your little piece of paper? What did you write down when I asked you, do you know Jesus? Understand this, knowing about Jesus doesn't equal knowing Jesus. And my fear is that a whole bunch of us know a lot about Jesus. But maybe we don't really know Jesus. We really haven't connected with the Jesus of Scripture. And he hasn't really impacted how we live our lives. Lesson one, there's a difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. Number two, and this is huge, and grab a hold of this, God knows you intimately. That's lesson number two. God knows you intimately. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're here today in in protest. You didn't want to get up. You didn't want to come to church. It was going to be a pretty nice day. And you're here anyway. God knows you intimately. If you've been in the church every Sunday of your life, or you're brand new to all of this, God knows you intimately. And that's just not my word. That's God's word. There's a Hebrew word that is used 873 times in the New Testament alone. And it's the word yada. Say that with me. Say yada. Yada. Say yada, yada, yada. You've seen the Seinfeld episode, probably. We won't go down that road this morning. But yada means a variety of things, but more than over 600 times in in the Old Testament, this Hebrew word is translated into English to know. And God knows you intimately. God yadas you. One of the first times that we see the word yada is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And this is just the little bit that I'm going to talk about sex this morning. But in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And in here, there, there is that, that, that translation, and the word yada is used, of a husband knowing a wife intimately, sexually, and they have a child. And that is a part of intimacy. It definitely is. But this word yada is so much deeper than the simple act. It's so much more than a simple moment in time. Maybe the best scripture in the Old Testament where we see yada used over and over and over again in relationship to God the Father and the people that follow after him is in Genesis 130, or excuse me, Psalm 139. And here's what Psalm 139 says. It says, you have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God knows you intimately. In in Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah 
is one of the unsung heroes of the faith because he was a depressed preacher during a depressed time. It was absolutely an awful period of time in the history of God's people when, when Jeremiah the prophet came. And if you've watched the Bible series, the, the DVD series, the History Channel series, you'll, you'll see Jeremiah in that series. And that probably is, is, is a fairly true picture of what Jeremiah was like. He always seemed to have bad news. He was a prophet whose words were not welcome. And there were times that he just wanted to give up and be done and just call it a life and go to heaven with God as Father. But at the very beginning of the book of Jeremiah, we see this word from the Lord to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I know you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And I believe that is not unique just to Jeremiah the prophet. God knows each of you intimately. We've got some baby congratulations up on the screen. Uh, We've got some natural church growth going on around here. And that's a good thing. Praise the Lord for that. And God knows that infant intimately, beautifully. And so if you're here today... And you are discouraged, or if you're here today and you're encouraged, whatever season of life you are in, understand this, God knows you intimately. When you're up, he knows you're up. When you're down, he knows you're down. Some of us, we do a great job of playing the game that everything's okay. I play that game pretty well from time to time. I fool a lot of you from time to time. Not a lot, because I'm not down a lot, but I can fool a lot of you. I can't fool my wife. Ernie would come in my office from time to time and shut the door, and he'd just say, what's going on? Talk to me. What's wrong? The people that we're closest with, we can't fool. And you can't fool God because God knows you intimately. And that's a blessing. That should make you feel good. That even if you feel like you're all alone in this world, God knows you, he loves you, he knows you intimately. Lesson number three is this. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. Grab your sheet one more time, read on that back paper. How how do you know Jesus? Just read that one more time, put it in your head one more time. In Luke chapter 7, there's this account of Jesus, and he is invited to the house of a Pharisee. And we don't know a lot about why the Pharisee invited Jesus to, the, to his house. I think, just my opinion, and I'm not a Bible scholar, but my opinion is the Pharisee wanted to have an opportunity to trap and accuse and discredit Jesus. That's just my opinion. But we don't really know that for sure. But I'm going to read a bunch of scripture right now. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. And as I read this, I want that word yada, that Hebrew word to know, to just kind of resonate in your mind. And I want you to try to figure out who knew Jesus. Luke 7, it says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, 
he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said in a very sophisticated voice would be my guess. Jesus said two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. You need to understand that the custom of the day is if I came to your house for a meal, there would be a basin of water and possibly even a servant to clean my feet because my feet would be dusty. And, And you as the leader of the house would greet me with a kiss. That was customary in the day. And if it was a special occasion, you might even pour oil on my head. Simon the Pharisee did none of that. He, he was so well put together. He had it all figured out. He probably studied the scriptures all of his life. And this broken, hurt, devastated, sinful woman, she had a much different response to Jesus. Let's look at those, those differences. When I see Simon, I see someone that's smug and legalistic and he's not hospitable. Very religious. But when I see this sinful woman, I see a broken woman, a a humble woman. She's vulnerable. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She might get thrown out of it. She doesn't care. But she's forgiven. She's loving. And she's loved in return. Which person in Luke chapter 7 really knew Jesus? And if you want a real zinger, it's not going to be up on the screen because I wasn't going to include it. But, hey, I'm the preacher. I might as well, right? Who are you more like? Simon the Pharisee? Or someone that's so broken by sin, all you can do is cry. Thank Jesus for the grace that he offers you today. Psalm 46.10 should be a life verse for me in many ways. Because I talk too much. I'm too active. I'm too busy. I worry about too many things. We had an awesome intentional church conference yesterday. I've been fretting and worried and just all kinds of responsibilities. And, uh, and I need Psalm 46.10 in my life just to, to be still and yada that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Lesson number four. Fans choose knowledge, but followers embrace 
intimacy. I, I am kind of a knowledge nut. My wife says I've got the memory of an elephant in many ways. I just remember things, and I like to remember things. And I used to memorize the back of baseball cards when I'm growing up, and now I memorize the Assyrian kings list and just all kinds of crazy things. I love knowledge. Many of you love knowledge. And knowledge is a good thing. But knowledge isn't what our goal is as followers of Jesus Christ. See, when we choose to be people that are driven by knowledge, that choice can prove to be challenging. It can be very intriguing. It can be very informative. You can kind of be a walking encyclopedia if you are driven by knowledge. But when you choose intimacy, my friends, embracing intimacy changes everything. When Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God, defines what your life is all about, that changes everything. See, I'm not asking this morning, can you quote John 3.16? Many of you can, and that's awesome. But I don't want you to be able to quote John 3.16. I want your life to reflect a passion to proclaim it. You are so passionate that God so loved the world that he gave his only son who was perfect that anyone that believes in him can have eternal life. That's what your life looks like. You can't stop talking about the grace of God. You can't stop sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because you haven't just memorized John 3.16. It's a life verse for you. I'm not asking this morning, do you know which Old Testament hero of the faith was a man after God's own heart? I'm not asking for that that bit of trivia. And many of you know that it was who? It was David. David was a man after God's own heart. But I'm asking this morning, is that phrase descriptive of your life? Are you a man after God's own heart? Are you a woman after God's own heart? Are you a grade schooler? after God's own heart. I'm not asking if you know that Jesus spoke of money and material possessions in 16 of his 38 parables, the topic he he, he preached about more than anything else in his parables. I'm not asking you if you know that factoid. I'm asking what is your relationship with money and stuff as a Christ follower? Do, Do you suffer from the love of money? Or do you realize it's all God's And he's been pretty good to you. And you're going to be a blessing to others. Knowledge, it has its benefits. When you embrace intimacy, that changes everything. We're we're going to do invitation a little different today. You've had to stand up twice today, so you don't have to stand up for invitation. I don't want you to stand up for invitation. I just want you to sit right where you're at. I'm going to ask Jim to come. And Jim is going to play a song, and he is going to sing a song. And the words are going to be on the screen. And if you want to, you can sing along. But I really don't even want you to sing along, to be honest with you. As you hear these words to the song, Knowing You, I want for the next three minutes for you to take that piece of paper that you started with today. And I want you to see if your answer has changed. And I want you to kind of do a self-assessment. How am I when it comes to truly knowing Jesus? Do I know about him? Or do I know him? Have I memorized some facts? Or is he the cry of my heart?
knowing you. All I once held dear, built my life upon all this world reveres and wars to know. All I once not gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you Die, knowing. 
know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, you'll never know hope and grace and truth. And if you want to know more about knowing Jesus, I'd love to have the opportunity to visit with you after our service today. We're going to conclude our service with uh, one of my favorite events that takes place ever, but especially on a Sunday morning, and that is seeing uh, someone make the decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ and be baptized. And so listen to the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let's witness the baptism of Micah Quartz. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? Let's close our service with a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for this day. And we thank you for your word. And, you know, just being honest, Father, there's a lot of times in my life I look a lot.